0: To Distress Situations, a Reed Smith podcast. On this podcast, we cover current issues in financial restructuring over a wide variety of industries. I'm Keith Arzeda, a partner in Reed Smith's Global Restructuring and Insolvency Group, and I'm one of the hosts of this podcast. Whether your company is a financial institution or in industry, we hope our commentary will be useful in managing the risks associated with distress. If you have any questions about our topics, feel free to contact our speakers. Welcome to the latest episode of Distress Situations. I'm here with Claudia Springer. A couple of interesting points to make at the beginning of this podcast. First, we had some technical difficulties, but the beautiful thing about podcasting is you can't hear those technical difficulties because it's not live. Second, I want to say that I miss Claudia. She's a former Reed Smith partner, and she is now with Novo Advisors, and she is practicing in the mediation space. And, Claudia, Why don't you take a minute to introduce yourself and your career?
1: That's great. Thanks, Keith. I appreciate it. And I'm glad to be here with you. I have spent the last 41 years, roughly, practicing law, mostly in the field of bankruptcy and restructuring. And for the past 20 of those 41 years, I've spent it as a partner at Reed Smith, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Recently, I decided that it was time to start something new or somewhat new, even though I'm going to be using a lot of skills that I learned as a bankruptcy practitioner in this new career of mine. But I decided that it was time to do something a little bit different. And I partnered with a financial restructuring firm that I uh, had occasion to work with several times over the past few years to start a mediation practice, and also to approach restructurings from the business side as opposed to the legal side. So I have sort of a hybrid practice, but I would say that my focus is on mediation.
0: Thanks for that. Let me say first that we miss you at Reed Smith. We wish you the best in this new endeavor, and we are very grateful that you're spending some time with us today.
1: Well, I miss you guys too.
0: <laughs> the one thing we like to do in this distressed situation is We have all these interesting people like you, Claudia. And one of the things that I like to ask is what do they do for fun? So what do you do for fun?
1: So, oh, I have a lot of things now that I do for fun. (laughs) Say that I have a little more time for fun. Well, let's see. I travel, just got back from a trip to Italy. So I'm starting to travel again, even since this COVID situation is hopefully getting better. And I also spend a lot of time with my family, with friends. I am big on exercising. I'm on the Peloton every day for at least an hour, and I'm a big reader, so I also enjoy reading novels, reading the newspaper the old-fashioned way, the actual newspaper, and uh, taking walks with my dogs. So that's pretty much what, what I do for fun.
0: So basically, you're following the blueprint of that book, The Blue Zones, right? You're being yeah. social, you're exercising, you're eating healthy, you're traveling, you're keeping your mind active.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to, that's for sure.
0: Well, we're on the same program over here. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's kind of dive into business a little bit. Today's program is about mediation. And I think there's probably some folks that are listening that might not even have a good working definition of what mediation is whether it's formal or informal. Can you give a little bit of a definition for what you see mediation as?
1: Sure. Mediation is a form of dispute resolution where the parties come together in the company of a neutral party, which is who's the mediator, to try to resolve the disputes that they're engaged in. And the whole point of mediation is to allow parties to have a little bit of self-determination in terms of resolving their disputes. Otherwise, obviously, a third party is going to resolve the dispute one way or the other. And generally, that means that one side is going to prevail and the other side is not going to prevail. And what mediation enables parties to do is to have some say and how a matter is resolved. And neither party wins or loses in a mediation. Both parties compromise is essentially the way I define it.
0: So let's cover a couple of quick things from a legal standpoint. Is it confidential? Yes or no?
1: Yes. It's generally speaking, when you say, is it confidential? The mediators' discussions with each party are confidential And mediation itself is not discoverable. In other words, what what is said in a mediation is uh, not discoverable by the other side if the parties ultimately do not resolve their disputes and go to litigation.
0: Is it faster or slower than letting the process of litigation play out?
1: It's typically much faster and much less expensive. A lot of it depends on the party's frame of mind when they, when they are mediating. And what I mean by that is oftentimes mediation is ordered by a court and it isn't necessarily the decision of the the litigants to mediate at that particular point in time. And that doesn't always bode well for resolving a dispute. If both parties are not yet at the point where they're ready to engage in some sort of compromise However, if the parties are in that frame of mind or if they can be convinced that that's the best road forward, then it's much faster than litigation. Even in bankruptcy court where litigation is relatively on a fast pace, it's faster than that.
0: So the goal in mediation is to resolve a dispute. I've often heard people say that a settlement is a good one when both sides are unhappy. What do you think about that?
1: I think that's probably true. I think when you settle a case, you're never going to get everything you want. And I always say to people, don't tell me what you want. Tell me what you need to have. You absolutely need to have. That can be a very different thing from what parties want. I think that compromise always means you're not going to to walk out a clear winner or a clear loser. So depending upon your perspective, yeah, you may you may be unhappy because you may have to write a check to the other side, which you never thought you would have to do or should do, or you may have to accept far less than you thought you would have to accept from the other side to resolve the dispute. But you have to look at it from another perspective. I mean, you have to look at it from what am I gaining by being able to resolve this dispute without litigation? Obviously, the costs are much less. But there are other costs aside from pure paying lawyers and paying experts and so forth. There's the cost to the business that occurs when one is involved in a major piece of litigation. And what by that I mean, there are so many distractions to having to litigate a matter. I was once involved in a, in a protracted litigation in bankruptcy court, and the CEO of the company who was really needed at the company, which was in bankruptcy for a reason, was in court for a month. And during that time that he was in court every single day, that company was losing value to the point where at the end of the mediation, the company was all but out of business. So that's an extreme example. But what I'm trying to to point out is that there are costs other than the obvious ones to parties when they are completely focused in a, in a dispute as opposed to trying to resolve things and then get on with their lives.
0: So let me recap what you said. In short, what you're saying is if I come to mediation wanting the sun, the moon, and the stars, I'm probably going to walk away unhappy. And mediation is an opportunity for people to avoid some of the less obvious difficulties of litigation, like the time spent, Preparing, like the time spent producing documents, like the time spent attending hearings. So it's too bad we don't have the LA law system of justice in this country where we just have a quick trial and it'd be done in 30 minutes. It doesn't happen that way, right?
1: Right. It's not a TV show. Yeah. It's real life where you are, you know, you're also on a schedule that is dictated by a third party. It's not the schedule that you might want say, I've got to get this resolved by X date. Well, the court may not have time to listen, to hear you by X date. And there are other parties involved whose schedules are also taken into account. So there's so many reasons why mediation makes a lot of sense. And especially with distressed companies where, you know, there isn't a whole lot of money or time to be litigating disputes. And oftentimes the litigation takes over and the restructuring takes a back seat. In our field, I think it's, it's more important than in most others to try to resolve disputes quickly.
0: I could not agree with you more, Claudia. A lot of my most successful resolutions have come via mediation. I want to take a minute here and take advantage of the breadth and depth of your experience and ask you to tell a couple of your favorite stories about. Starting with what was your first experience with mediation? And then we'll ask about your first experience as the mediator.
1: So my first experience in mediation that I can remember, and, you know, because I can't remember 40 years ago very well, but I do remember, actually, it was a case that I got, I was involved in when I first came to Reed Smith. Our firm represented a creditors committee, and the committee itself Had numerous differences in viewpoint among committee members. You know, we were often in a position of having to negotiate matters among committee members, not just between the committee and other parties in the case. And we had a particular situation where we were negotiating with the debtor and the equity because this was a case that actually was incredibly successful and there was going to be plenty of money to pay creditors in full and to pay money to equity. And the dispute boiled down to the interest rate that should be paid to unsecured creditors before money would be made available to go up to the shareholders. And it was a pretty protracted, nasty dispute. And we hired, as a mediator, we hired a pretty well-known judge in this, in this jurisdiction. He was a retired federal judge to mediate. And I remember walking into a room and there were, there was a long conference room table and there were probably 30 people sitting around the table. And the judge sat down, the mediator sat down, I should call him. And he basically said, okay, well, you're at this number and you're at that number. So maybe we should just cut the baby in half. And he completely misread the situation. I mean, we had, it was a really high level group of individuals and lawyers and parties. And he really, he wasn't prepared for for that. He, you know, we could have done that. (laughs) We all looked at each other and said, wait a minute. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Why are we paying you for this? This is crazy. If it was just a if it was a matter of dividing by two, we could have done that on our own, right?
1: Exactly. And one of my good friends at the bar, who is now a, a mediator, and he was a very fine firm for many years as a practitioner, said to me that one mediation was the reason I went into being a mediator because I realized <laughs> how much good mediators are necessary and how somebody who really isn't prepared and really just thinks that they can walk into a room and say, okay, you're at this number and you're at this number, so we'll just divide the two. That is not what most parties need. Most parties need somebody who understands the case, understands the facts. You're not there to take one point of view or the other, but you are there to point out to each side or as many sides as there are some of the deficiencies in their case because oftentimes the lawyer for one side cannot really convince their own client that their case is not necessarily as good as they think it is and it takes somebody who is really impartial who can say well okay here are all the strengths that I see but then here are the weaknesses that you have and You're going to be arguing this in front of a judge, a jury, whatever, and who's to say that they're going to agree with your side of the story? Who's to say that they're going to think that what you're saying is the way it happened or what you're saying is the way it should be? So I think sometimes it helps, and it helps the lawyers too, frankly, for both sides to Have somebody else there that can point out to a party that their position might not be as strong as they think it is. And maybe you really have to think about compromising and coming up with a solution that works.
0: So, going back to that mediation that springboarded your career as a mediator, should that guy have come in and listened first? and given the parties a chance to have a bit of a catharsis and to feel like they had been heard before they immediately broke into compromise?
1: That's the way I think the best mediations are conducted. I think the best mediations are ones where, first of all, I think where the mediator is prepared. What I tell the litigants to do is to give me, in advance of the mediation, anything that they want me to read. In other words, I tell them, I'm not going to go and get every pleading that's been filed in the case, unless you want me to, and start reading every pleading in the case. You give me the pleadings that you want me to read, and the other side can give me the pleadings that they think I should be reading. And obviously, I ask both parties to give me a mediation statement in advance of the mediation. And then when I come into the room... We have our introductory remarks, but then I take each party aside in their own separate room and I sit and listen to them. And I sit, and oftentimes what you hear from them is frustration, anger. It's the history as they see it. They want to vent. They want to feel as if they've gotten their ability to to tell you why they think they have been wronged.
0: So I wanna I wanna jump in there and tell you a funny story that happened to me. So I am not a mediator, but the Tarrant County Bar Association teamed up with the Tarrant County Municipal Courts to clear out the docket many years ago. And I was mediating a dispute. It was about a five hundred dollar dispute. This was just a volunteer effort by me. So this is not for pay. I'm not a good mediator. It's not something I really was doing, but I wanted to volunteer and help out. The plaintiff in, in this case came in and said, I mowed $500 for whatever reason. And the defense really spoke to me for about 20 minutes of why they were not liable, why they should not pay. But really all it was was just an expression of frustration. And at the end of the day, they paid the entire amount asked by the plaintiff once they had had the opportunity to get it off their chest. So they walked out with zero compromise. They paid absolutely what they'd been sued for, but felt great doing it because they got a chance to get it off their chest. Now I know that's an outlier, that's not every mediation. I do think that from a counsel standpoint, when I take someone to mediation, oftentimes that ability to just talk about the case and feel like you have some element of control instead of just doing what the lawyers tell you all the time brings the parties to a position where they're ready to compromise.
1: Yeah. I mean, if any of your listeners want to read a great book, I really admire Ken Feinberg. I've, in case you don't know who that is, he's one of the best mediators probably in the world. And he mediated all of the 9 11 victim claims. And he wrote a book. He's written many books, but one of his books that I Thought was really very poignant and really affected me was what is a life worth? And he tells the story about meeting with every family that wanted to meet with him that lost a loved one in 9 11. And, you know, obviously you had people from all walks of life that were killed in that horrible situation. But his job. Was to figure out how much each person should get, each each family should get from this fund that was set up for the victims.
0: What a difficult job!
1: And it's it's really difficult because you can't. Yeah, I mean, when you look at, for example, the earning potential of a firefighter or a police officer versus the earning potential of an investment banker or a lawyer in a private firm, they're very different. You don't know what's going to what could have happened with that person's life. You can only work with the facts as you know them, and obviously, the hurt that every family experienced had nothing to do with how much money the person was earning or what their earning potential was. I mean, you lose a father, a husband. A wife, a child. I mean, you know, it's an indescribable pain. And he had to meet and did meet with every single one. And he talks about the fact that so many of the people just wanted somebody to hear them out, just wanted somebody to listen to the stories about their family member that they lost. I mean, at the end of the day, the money was secondary to the fact that they needed to just tell the story of the person that that they lost and how important that person was in their life. And he managed to resolve almost all of the claims. Very few of them ultimately were litigated. And one of the things that I think came out of the book for me was the fact that the speed at which people who are willing to forego litigation and resolve things consensually, obviously got, you know, their payments much faster than people who chose to go to court. And for somebody who's in a situation of distress, and also just uh, wants to make sure that they have uh, money to support their children or whatever, it was a tremendous Help that they were able to resolve these things relatively quickly and not have to have it drag out. So, you know, that's an extreme example, but you learn from people who've done this and who have done this very successfully, even in the worst of situations.
0: Yeah, I'm telling you, doing financial work, the problems that, that we encounter almost always pale in comparison to loss of life. Right. I, you know, I'm grateful for that. One thing I wanted to talk about and, and bring it to back to financial distress is I see oftentimes the need for mediation to be more focused and more necessary and the need for speed is much greater in a financially distressed circumstance. And so your example of the CEO that was spending time in court versus running the business. Hits home for me because I oftentimes feel like in a distressed situation, the patient is on the table, the operation has begun. We ought to let the doctor go ahead and finish that rather than dealing with the paperwork of getting the billing done correctly, is the analogy that I use. Right. So when you come into a distressed circumstance where there's maybe ongoing litigation, an open bankruptcy, cash flow problems, what's the point in time? where you say, okay, now's the time to mediate this dispute?
1: Yeah, so I will say that it a lot of it depends on where the parties themselves are in terms of whether they're ready to sit down and compromise. Bankruptcy judges that I've, when I've been in some difficult situations, oftentimes they will order mediation because they really believe that taking the matter to trial is going to be a a total time waster. And it's not, the parties are not so far apart that a compromise doesn't seem possible. So oftentimes I've been involved in mediations because the bankruptcy judge says, you guys, you guys need to, to resolve this. And I'm going to, and oftentimes they actually appoint the mediator. It's sometimes another bankruptcy judge or a district court judge who they believe has the time and can get something resolved successfully. But as I said before, it often depends on the party's mental state and whether they really are ready to compromise. I had a case years ago involving a very large hospital system. My client was the chair of the creditors committee. We, The creditors committee sued one of the big four accounting firms this litigation went on for the better part of nine or 10 years. There were so many different parts of this litigation that went from bankruptcy court up to the district court, up to the circuit court, then back down to the bankruptcy court. And all along the way, we tried to mediate this case. And we had several different judges that took turns trying to, t- trying to resolve the case. Ultimately. We, we got there, but it took on a life of its own. It was, it just seemed to go on forever. And I think that part of the reason for that was that until discovery was taken and it came, a lot of things came out during discovery that were not really great facts for the defendant in the case the defendant just really wasn't motivated to to write a big check and and there were offers made but the committee rejected the offers ultimately when things became known that occurred and it certainly appeared that there could be massive a massive judgment against the defendant in this case then they i think came to the table ready to compromise and and offer something meaningful. And I I don't even know at that point that it was really the mediator that made all the difference. I think it was really the situation that things just didn't look so great for for the defendant in the case and they they realized that they had to come to the table with a more meaningful number.
0: All right. So we are we're getting close to the end and I want to I want to end on a final question. So the question is, what's your favorite mediation story or moment? I'll tell you, for me, my favorite part about mediation is that you roll into mediation, nine o'clock sharp, you're in your best suit and tie, your client is with you. And the very first thing that happens is the mediator says, what would you like to order for lunch? <laughs> Every single time. And I always think, well, obviously nothing's going to happen before lunchtime because you're making me eat here. Right. And my experience in mediation is that the most action-packed period is the last hour. That's when all the action is.
1: I think my favorite mediation story was I was involved in a a mediation years ago, and my client was one of 12 defendants in a pretty big case, and we had a great mediator, but he did not believe in in in-person mediation. He believed in only doing things by phone. And so I convinced him because he's a good friend of mine. I convinced him that you can't, you've got to, you've got to do the first meeting in person. So he begrudgingly did that for me. And he had, you know, lawyers from all over the country sitting around and everybody went into their own rooms and he's going back and forth and back and forth. And almost nothing happened that day other than we all sort of, gave him our view of, of of the situation and why we were right and the other guy was wrong and yada, yada, yada. But after that, he literally every single day called all of the parties. He did what has always worked for him, where he would get on the phone every day with each party and talk through the facts and tell them why he thinks there are strengths on their side and there are weaknesses to their story and what he thinks would be a fair settlement. And ultimately he was successful in settling all but two, I believe, of the defendants who ultimately went to, to trial and went up to the to the circuit court with the case.
0: And he probably thought if you'd have just given me more time I'd have worn them down too,
1: right? I think they no matter what they were going to litigate it, they were so certain that they were going to prevail and they didn't want there to ever be a chance that anybody else would bring what they considered to be a nonsensical case. It's hard to, to tell you without, knowing, without telling you the facts, but it involved an integral part of their business and they needed a decision by a circuit court. So I don't think they would have settled no matter what, unless of course there was just a walk away and they weren't asked to, to pay anything. So everybody else resolved it through a a payment, but we all felt that ultimately it was the right thing to do. And as I said, the benefits of mediation and resolution, it saved time, it saved money. The client didn't have to continue to be involved in, in this dispute. And many of my clients have told me over the years that the amount of time and disruption that litigation takes away from what they really are supposed to be doing at their job makes you realize how important it is to try to compromise. Because when you talk to some in-house legal departments, they will tell you that one big case can basically turn their life upside down in terms of their work day and what they're trying to accomplish. So.
0: Well, Claudia, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been wonderful. We are very grateful. We still miss you at Reed Smith and we hope you come back. We don't think that's likely to happen, but if it happens, that'd be wonderful.
1: Uh, Well, thanks. And I I do miss everyone there. And uh, I do talk to people from Reed Smith all the time. As as a matter of fact, I'm working on a couple of matters with some lawyers from Reed Smith. I, I will always feel very fondly towards my former partners and friends there. So Anyway, thank you for those kind words. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for coming on. Distressed Situations is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's restructuring and insolvency practice, please email distressedsituations at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and on our social media accounts at Reed Smith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.